out of nowhere, I just hear like uh, a low whistling sound, kind of like a, a bottle rocket. Like, and, and then out of nowhere, I just feel something like hit my side and I just kind of lurch forward. Witnesses say the shots came from a moving car. The suspected shooters drove past Brian yelling an anti-Mexican slur. I think they were tagging Hispanics. It's, it's a horrible feeling, you know, to have your son being shot at. Kind of singled out me being black by using a specific word that we're pretty much all familiar with. The fight broke out fast and didn't stop until someone slammed Terrence's head through a car window. And we get called names on a daily basis. Was it me and the girls ask if we sit by her? And she went, are you gypsies? And then we said, yeah. And she went, oh, well, you're not having a seat. And put her feet up so we couldn't sit there. And um, that happens all the time, where I have people at the store in front of me um, talking about me and they think I don't know what they're saying because of the way I look. You know, as soon as we show up on campus, people are telling us, you don't belong here, you don't deserve to be here. We won't forget the Charleston Nine, killed one by one in a racist rampage last June. I remember my son saying, Mama, he shot me in the head. Excited about this series, and I just believe the Lord is going to do a great work as we kick off this series today called Race Together. And we're going to spend a little over a month talking about how do we race together. Racial tension is real around our world. Being racist, prejudiced, hating certain people is a real problem around our world. And as we lay the foundation for where we're going throughout this series today, I, I think it's vitally important for us to begin this, this conversation, these, this series of messages by laying this first foundation. It's important for all of us to understand that racism is not about skin, it's about sin. It's about sin. James chapter 2 and verse number 9 says this, but if you favor some people over others, if you have favoritism, racism, prejudice, it says you are committing a sin. The Bible doesn't mix words. You are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Prejudice and racism is not about skin. It is about sin. Racial tension, hostility has been an issue in our world for a long, long time. And when I think about this issue, I think about how broad it is around our world, I, I start going back and thinking about the Holocaust. And under the leadership of Hitler, the Holocaust began in 1939 and ended in 1945. The Holocaust was an attempt by Nazi Germany to perform an ethnic cleansing to protect the purity of the German race. And six million Jewish people were killed during the Holocaust. That's one-third of all Jewish people alive at the time were killed in the Holocaust. Racism is not about 
skin, it's about sin. I think about the Yugoslavian wars that took place in 1991 through 2001. And the war began with Croatia and Slovenia when they declared independence from the Yugoslavian government. And the Serbians, that they used this this tension between the Yugoslavian government to, to partner with the Yugoslavian People's Army. And what they did was influence them to run out and destroy non-Serbians, non-Serb people that, 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 that were in the Yugoslav region. And 140,000 people lost their lives. Racism is not about skin, it's about sin. I think about the Rwandan Civil War that happened from 1990 to 1994, and this war was one of the worst ethnic genocides since World War II. The Hutu tribe killed 800,000 from the Tutsi tribe. 800,000 people lost their lives from the Tutsi tribe. That's around 70% of all of the Tutsi people that were murdered. What I want us to understand is racism is much bigger than black and white or white and brown or brown and yellow or black and yellow. Racism even occurs amongst people who have the same skin color. You see, the Hutu and the Tutsi have the same skin color, but because of of tribal wars and they're born and thinking, well, I'm better than you because I'm a part of this tribe, they literally killed off 70% of the Tutsi tribe because racism is not about skin. It's about sin. I think about the the Kamari Rouge War that was organized and it was one of those hostile times amongst the Cambodian people and approximately 1.7 million Cambodians in 1965 to 1979 lost their lives. And the goal of this war was a a purification of Cambodian society along racial, along uh, along political, and and, and also along social lines, and 1.7 million Cambodians lost their lives. I think about the Armenian genocide, which happened in 1915 when one million Armenians were killed, because racism is not about skin, it's about sin. And right here in our own country, there has been racial tension, racism, prejudice. I think about the American Civil War that happened from 1861 to 1865. Abraham Lincoln was elected president in 1860, and he declared that, that he was going to keep slavery from expanding into new territories added to the United States of America. And this angered seven southern slave states, and they decided to form their own nation, the Confederate States of America. And the Lincoln administration said, we're not going to allow you to form your own nation. And war broke out. And 620,000 people lost their life in this war. To this day, the most Americans lost their lives in this American Civil War. And friends, I could just go on and on and on and on about racism, prejudice, hatred that has occurred in our nation and our world. But the question I want us to think about today, the question I want us to ponder today is this. Where did racism come from? 
Where does racism and prejudice stem from? Where, 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 does, it, where, does, it, where, does, it, where does it derive from? What, what makes a person racist and, and hateful and mean-spirited and prejudiced? Where does it come from? Let me begin first by telling you where it doesn't come from. Nobody is born racist. There is no racist gene. Nobody comes out of the womb racist saying, I don't like those people. I'm against those people because of their skin color or their tribe. Nobody comes out the womb racist. There is no racist gene. Racism is learned one way or another. It's learned perhaps by experiences people have been through that have shaped them or what their family has been through and it shaped them and developed a, a hateful heart towards a group of people. Some people are, are raised to be racist. We don't hang out with those kind of people. We don't talk to those kind of people. We don't associate with those kinds of people. And, and they were raised and trained from childhood to be racist towards a group of people. There are some people it's just ignorance. A lack of exposure, and because of a lack of exposure and ignorance, they prejudge, they're, they're prejudiced, prejudiced towards a group of people. There's a white gentleman who attends our church, and he grew up in Oklahoma, and grew up in an area in Oklahoma where he didn't uh, really hang out with black people, didn't associate, didn't have friends who were black, and when he started to come to People's Church, he had no idea that he had prejudice in his heart, uh, and he began to talk to a black man in our church, and as he talked to him, he heard the black man say, yeah, I'm an architectural engineer, and he thought to himself, you're black and an architectural engineer? In his mind, those two couldn't go together, that you're black and an architectural engineer, and, and he immediately, as he was thinking this, he realized something's wrong with me. Something's off in my, in my mind and my heart that I'm, uh, I'm hearing you say this, and I'm thinking that a black man can't be an architectural engineer, and it's, it was his ignorance because, of, because he grew up without black people and watching, hearing things about black people on television, what people said about black people, and, and so he had this prejudgment, this prejudice towards black people. This week, there's a, a man in our church that was coming back home from vacation with his wife over the Labor Day holiday weekend, and they were driving through the state of Louisiana. And as they were driving through the state of Louisiana, because of the long trip, they were going to take turns driving. And so they pulled into a small little town in Louisiana at a gas station this week, a convenience store. As they pulled in and got out the car to switch sides, a white man came out the store and said, get back in your car. Get back in your car. I'm, I'm going to shoot you. Get back in your car. And obviously they got back in the car and drove off. Somehow this man got racism in his heart. Somehow that was put there. He was taught that to hate a group of people, to, to dislike a group of people. There, there's a, a white man in our, our church who, who grew up around black people. And some of his best friends growing up in junior high, high school were were black people, and he would go to the cafeteria sometimes and sit and going to sit by his, his black friends and got his lunch tray headed to the table to sit down, and as he was getting ready to sit down at the table on several occasions, there'd be black teenagers there that would say, hey, man, you're not welcome here. This is not your table. Go to your table. But this, you, you, you don't just sit here with us. This is, this is our table. You go to your table. 
And he felt ostracized because he just wanted to sit by his black friends. And somehow that, 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 that group of black teenagers, from what they experienced or what they had heard or what they had seen or what they'd been taught, they were, they were ostracizing another human being and pushing him away. There's a lady in our church whose father is South American, whose mother is white. And there have been people, non-Hispanics, that have had the audacity to ask her, is your daddy illegal in our country? Because they saw a man who was Hispanic and they would have the audacity to ask her that question. And he moved to America in 1979 for his college education. He is here legally, and yet people frame up people on skin color or accent or how they talk, and, and, and now they're prejudging her dad. She's, she's had Hispanics ask her and say to her, well, you're Hispanic, huh? Well, you're not a real Hispanic. Look at you. You look too white to be Hispanic. And have pushed her away, have been racist, have been prejudiced towards her. I have experienced racism personally, prejudice personally, hate personally. Even this summer, I had an interesting experience. I was driving with my family to Nebraska to see my wife's family who lives in Nebraska, and we were going to the state of Kansas. And we decided to break up the trip and to, to go to a, a, a water park and play with the kids and have some fun swimming and riding rides at the water park. And so in Kansas, we, we, we got to the water park and we were riding rides and I just got off a ride and my kids were excited and I'm carrying my inner tube from the ride. And there was a, a teenager who walked up to me. He was a lifeguard and he was, he was interracial I and mean, he was black, half black, half white or half Hispanic, half white. I knew he was interracial and he walked up to me. And he put his hand out like this, wanted to shake my hand. He said, what's up, Ma? And he said the N-word to me. I said, what's up, Ma? I'm like, I don't know you. And I am not your. And I just looked at him. I'm thinking, boy, I'm 40. I got kids. I could be your daddy. I am not your he sees me a little later at the park because the lifeguards are rotating around, and he sees me again at the park, and he says to me again, what's up, ma? And he wants to try to, and I just looked at him. This time, I'm mad. I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm getting kind of frustrated. I'm getting mad. I'm thinking, you don't know me. You don't know me like that. I'm gonna, I will cut you. You know I said? You don't know me like that. What's up, ma? You don't know me. He does it a third time, sees me again at the park. He says it to me again, and he says, hey, what's up? What's up, ma? I said, hey, man, listen, I'm going to talk to your supervisor. I am not your, I don't appreciate it. I'm going to talk to your supervisor. His face changed. He saw me again at the water park, riding the ride, a small water park in Kansas. He ignored me the rest of the time when he saw me. I'm not going to say anything to him anymore. When I was in high school, sagging had become somewhat popular in high school. If you don't know what sagging is, I'm not advocating it. I'm just saying that it became popular when I was in high school. And if you're not familiar with it, that's where people uh, would wear their britches below their bottom. Sometimes way below their bottom. And, um, and I didn't sag in high school. The primary reason that I didn't sag in high school because 
Uh, my daddy told me if I do sag, he was going to whoop my bottom. Amen. So I decided I'm not sagging. I didn't want no, didn't want a whooping, so I didn't, didn't, I didn't sag. And I decided in high school that I was going to get good grades because my daddy would take me to haul hay in the summer. And I got to hauling them square bales of hay, and he would say to me, son, if you, you don't go get your education, you're going to do this the rest of your life. I'm thinking, I'm not doing this the rest of my life. Oh, no. And so I buckled down, and I started studying hard in school, and I graduated high school with a 3.9 GPA. And because I didn't sag, and because I worked hard at my grades, I had, I had black teenagers that would tell me, you're an Uncle Tom. Who's your Uncle Tom studying all that, not even sagging? Who are you, Uncle Tom? And would say racist remarks to me because I didn't sag and wanted to get my education. When I was a senior in college, I began to date Tiffany who is now my wife, and when we were dating, we experienced racism, and if you are new to People's Church, you, you don't know me, uh, my wife is, is white, and, and I am black. <laughs> I do have some Indian in me, amen. <laughs> I don't have enough to get my card. Somebody give me a card. <laughs> I need one of them cards. Amen. No, I love my Indian brothers and sisters, and so I do have some Indian in me, but not enough to get a card. But anyways, uh, and so we, we were dating, and, and while we were dating, uh, and in college, my, my wife received a letter from a family member. And this letter began to spell out to Tiffany that you should not be dating this young man. Um, we don't approve of it. You don't have our blessing and even began to quote some scriptures on why she should not date and talk to me. And it had nothing to do with uh, me getting my education. It had nothing to do. I was traveling across the nation at the time and preaching, uh, getting my education respectable. The only thing that letter pointed out was the color of my skin. So you don't date him because of the color of his skin. The issue of racism, prejudice, and hate has been going on for centuries and centuries and centuries. It is actually all throughout the Bible. And this is not anything new. It's, it's in the Bible from cover to cover. And we're going to be spending some time over the next several weeks just looking at, at racism in the Bible, discovering, learning about this issue and finding answers as well. And today I want us to look at one of those Bible stories about a man named Saul. And Saul was raised to be prejudiced against certain people. He was raised to hate certain groups of people. He, he grew up Jewish, and, and he grew up as a Pharisee, and his, his, his Pharisee religion taught him to hate Christians, to hate cross followers, and he was on a mission to wipe Christians off the planet. And I want us to look at the story, story of, of Saul and his hate and his prejudice that he had. In Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1, it says, Saul approved their killing him. They killed a man named Stephen, and, and Saul approved of it. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Notice that he began to destroy the church. 
going from house to house. Get, get an image of this. He's going from house to house, and he dragged off both men and women. He would go into houses and drag men and women out who were following Jesus. He's had so much hate in his heart, he'd grab women and drag them off. And the scripture says, and put them in prison. He hated Christians so much that he persecuted the church, had people arrested, dragged in the street, thrown in prison, and even authorized the killing of Christians. And the story of Saul, what I like about this story is it shows us how a person who was full of hate towards a group of people can be changed by the power of God. And what I want us to understand today is no matter how you grew up, no matter your experiences, and I realize some have had horrific experiences, no matter what you've gone through, I want you to know that you don't have to continue to be racist or, or prejudiced or walk around with, with hate in your heart. You don't have to stay bound today. There is freedom. What I want to do today is I want to give you three keys to freedom. No matter where you are on your journey, and I realize so many of you are in different places on your journey and what you feel and think about people, and I want us to give us three keys to freedom. Number one is this. We, we have to have an encounter with God. If we're going to experience freedom, we have to have an encounter with God. The scripture says in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1 about Saul, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Notice how much he hated people. He's murderous, wants to kill people. Murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, who, who belonged to the way of following Jesus, they were called the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He's having an encounter with Jesus. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus. Notice this. Whom you are persecuting. He replied, I want you to notice that when we hate people and persecute people, especially Christ followers, we're persecuting Jesus. I want you to notice how Jesus takes it personally when we hate people. It's personal to Jesus. You're persecuting me. And Saul was on his way to persecute Christians. And he has an encounter with Jesus that changed his heart and changed his life. He was bound, but Jesus set him free. And you may find yourself bound today with hate and racism and, and prejudice, and you're joining us online around the world, and if you're honest, you find yourself bound today. You find yourself angry at what's happened. You find yourself bitter and I want you to know that the only way to experience real freedom is by having an encounter with Jesus. God is the only one that can transform a racist, prejudiced, hateful heart. He's the only one that can bring transformation. Friends, can I tell you, you can't legislate racism out of someone's heart. You can't pass enough laws to change a human heart. And I thank God for governments all around the world that pass laws to protect people. But passing a law will not change a human heart. The only thing that will change a human heart is God himself. God changes hearts. Here's what the scripture says in Ezekiel chapter 36 and beginning in verse 26. It says, I, talking about God, God will give you a new heart. 
Anybody besides me like new? Come on, new, new, new. Yeah, we like new. Here's what God will give you. God will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Notice what, notice what God, nobody else, legislation can't do this, passing a law can't do this, do this. God says, I will remove from you your heart, your hateful heart, your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. Only God can do that. And if your heart is filled with hate, man, you need to give your life to Jesus. And you need to have an encounter with God Almighty and allow God to give you a new spirit and a new heart. And I'm not talking about knowing about God. I'm not talking about knowing the Bible. Because, see, friends, there are people who know about Jesus and who actually know the Bible and can quote the Bible, and their heart is full of hate. Because knowing about the Bible and knowing the Bible and knowing about God and about Jesus won't change a human heart. You see, you have to know Jesus for yourself. And when you personally know Jesus, have an encounter with Jesus, he changes your heart. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. He says, listen, you study the scriptures. You think in the scriptures you're going to have eternal life. Your life's going to be transformed. You study the Torah. You study the word of God. You study the Bible. But he says this, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. That Bible, that Torah is about me. He says, yet you refuse to come to me. You you study the Torah, you talk about me, you argue about me, you debate about me, you misquote me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see, friends, the only way for transformation, you can't legislate a heart change, you can't pass enough laws to get a heart change. The way that we see a human heart change is by coming to Jesus who gives life and real life, who breaks the chains on people's hearts and lives. And friends, when we focus on skin, it pulls us apart. But an encounter with God will change our hearts. I'm going to say that again. I'm a rapper today. When we focus on skin, it pulls us apart. But an encounter with God will change our heart. Number two is it's a second key to freedom. A second key to freedom. We must go a different direction. Must go a different direction. Saul was on his way to persecute the church. But he had an encounter with God that sent him a different direction. And friends, an encounter with Jesus, an authentic encounter with Jesus will always send you a different direction. And Saul shows us what it looks like to go a different direction. I want us just to to look at this briefly, what it looks like to have an encounter with Jesus and go a different direction. The first thought is this from Saul is be open to learn. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you're open to learn. You see, when people are going the wrong direction, when people's hearts are filled with hate, they're closed-minded. They're full of pride. They're not teachable. And here's what the Bible says about Saul in Acts 9 and verse 6. He says, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do with your old hateful self. You will be told what you must do. Listen, Saul, Saul, go learn. Go expand your horizons. Go get the lid lifted off your limited perspective. You see, when you have an encounter with Jesus, you become open to learn and to grow. You see, a lot of people have a limited perspective. 
Many people haven't been exposed to a lot of people and places around our world. They're, they're, they, they have a very limited worldview. They have a very limited perspective, and yet they think they're right about everything. You hear people say things like, well, that's how I was raised. It's right. What I think is right because I was raised this way. But you have to understand a lot of other people were raised differently. And you try to make the way you were raised the only way and think you're right and not open to learn and grow. You hear people say things like, well, that's what I've experienced. Listen, you haven't experienced anything but we woke up. You had not been anywhere but Seminole, Shawnee. Come on, you hadn't experienced, you've been to Idabel. You hadn't experienced anything, you've just been to Oklahoma City and Tulsa. You know, some of you hadn't even left Oklahoma. Talk about, I know everything. Come on, you've only been to two states in your life. Talk about, you know everything. Come on, you've been to one country outside of America. Well, I've been to a lot of places. No, you have, you just watched them on television. But I know, I know I'm right. No, you're limited. You have a limited perspective and a limited worldview, and it's made you arrogant and prideful. Well, I saw it on social media where everything you see on social media is not right. A lot of it's not. People who are full of hate, prejudice, and racism are narrow-minded. Their worldview is small. They're not open to learn and grow. But when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, here's what happens. Our pride begins to melt away, and now we become open and have a desire to learn and grow and not to go through life with this little limited perspective, our little limited box. We think the whole world should fit in our little limited box. And you start realizing this. You start realizing we don't know everything. I don't know everything. You have an encounter with God, you start realizing, I don't have all the answers. You have an encounter with God, you stop being so quick to pass judgment on other people and sizing people up because of their skin color or how they talk or how they look. You stop that foolishness because you have a broader perspective. When you have an encounter with God, you become open to learn. What does it look like to go a different direction? Let me give you a second thought from Saul. You get around God-fearing, kingdom-minded people. You see, God sent Saul into the city to get instructions from a godly man, a God-fearing, kingdom-minded man named Ananias. God says, listen, you're going a different direction. And he began to hang out with this guy named Ananias. And friends, we all need to get around godly people, godly counsel, godly people with godly wisdom and and kingdom-minded people. And that's what Saul was commanded to do, go to Ananias, a godly man, a kingdom-minded man who loves God and loves people. And when you get around somebody who's kingdom-minded and who's God-fearing, they don't just love some people, they love all people. They don't just love black people, I just love white people, I just love brown people, I just love yellow people, I just love pink people. Listen, when you really love God, you say, God, I love all people. That's my desire, love all people. And that's what we're about at People's Church. That's why I spent time preparing this this conversational tool this race together tool so you you can get together with god godly people kingdom-minded people you will get some gather some friends who are different than you get 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 around some people who are different than you and i i take you through this series you it's, it's absolutely free in the lobby you can pick this up there's a dvd i have five sessions of it of just seven to 12 minutes of talking to begin to spark conversations about racing together. There's, there's the workbook here that has questions for you. I host it. All you have to do is host it. I lead it for you. But it begins the conversation and say, I'm going to get around some godly people. I'm going to begin to grow. I'm going to begin to broaden my horizons. I'm going to be around some people who are different than me. I want you to see a, a, third, a third way it begins, you begin to go a different direction and what it looks like. And number three is this. You begin to intensely seek God. 
intensely seek God. Notice this in Acts chapter 9 and verse 9. It says, for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Saul had this encounter with God. He's praying. He's seeking God. He doesn't eat or drink for three days because he's pursuing Jesus with all of his heart. And friends, if you really want to be free from hate, racism, prejudice, you need to intensely seek God with your whole heart. Go after God with your whole heart. It may require you to fast and it may require you to start praying more and reading your Bible, getting to church more, worshiping God, crying out to God, God, I'm not going to live with hate in my heart. Intensely seek God. Number four is this. When you go a different direction, here's what happens. You, you, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. You be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 9 and verse 17 and 18. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you, you had this encounter. He appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to, to, so, so that you may see again because you haven't been seeing very clearly. You've had a very limited perspective. And he says this, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And we need some scales to fall off some people's eyes around our nation, around our world, scales to fall. And he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And friends, you can't be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and hate people. You cannot be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and continue to hate people. You see, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the scripture says in Galatians 5, is love. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And joy and peace and patience and kindness is the fruit of the Spirit. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. You say, well, I love Jesus, but I hate people. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and hate people. No, you're full of something, but it's not Jesus. Because when you get full, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. When you get full of the Holy Spirit... You can't keep hating people. You see, the Holy Spirit will wash away prejudice and racism and hate from your life. And here's my prayer. Lord, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Lord, flood our hearts, flood our city, flood our state, flood our nation, flood our world with the power of the Holy Spirit. Like a river, let your Holy Spirit flood our lives and kick that junk out of our spirits and our hearts. Flood our nation, flood our world, Lord. Number five is this. Number five is this. What does it look like to go a different direction? You immediately follow Jesus. Immediately follow Jesus. Notice in Acts chapter 9, verse 18 and 19, it says immediately. Something like scales fell off from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After, after taking some food, he regained his strength. And friends, when you have an encounter with Jesus, you get full of the Holy Spirit. You know what happens? Your desire changes and you want to follow Jesus. You know what happens to Saul? He gets up that day. He wasn't planning on being baptized in water that day. He wasn't planning on it. And what happens to Saul? He has an encounter with Jesus. He's fasting for three days, hasn't eaten for three days, and has an opportunity to get ready to eat. But the scripture says before he eats, he so desires to please Jesus and follow Jesus. The scripture says he gets baptized in water to say, Jesus, I want to follow you the rest of my life. And friends, I realize some of you today... You haven't been wholeheartedly following Jesus. And you're here today, and as I teach God's word and break the scriptures to you today, and the Holy Spirit is working, and you're starting to have a desire to follow Jesus. And one of the first things that Paul did, Saul did, his name was changed to Paul, was he got baptized in water. 
He got baptized in water to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going public for you today. And listen, the water's ready today at all of our locations. And the Holy Spirit is moving. And the Bible says immediately scales fell off and he was baptized in water. Listen, don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. So many people say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And it's always tomorrow. But today is a day, just like Saul, you didn't come prepared to be baptized, but we're ready for you. If you drop out today, fall in the service in the lobby at the baptism table out in the lobby. We have shorts ready for you. We have shirts ready for you. We have towels ready for you. There is no excuse for you not to get baptized to follow Jesus. We even have a hair net for you if you want to cover your hair up so you can get baptized in water and follow Jesus. Listen, when you get full of the Holy Spirit, you have an encounter with Jesus. It changes your want to, and you want to follow Jesus. Number five is this. Number five, excuse me, number three is this. Number three, this point is so important. Don't tune me out, tune me in right now. The third way to freedom is intentionally engage with people who are different than you. Intentionally engage with people who are different than you. Acts chapter 9 and verse 15 and 16 says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him. How much he must suffer for my name. After this encounter with Jesus, you know what happens? Saul stops persecuting the church. He stops hating people. He stops authorizing Christians to be killed. And the most amazing thing about this story is Saul, a Jewish man, begins to hang out and build relationships and minister to and share the gospel with Gentiles. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Jews and Gentiles didn't like each other. Jews looked down upon Gentiles. They actually thought they were unclean people. You see that actually in Acts chapter 10. They're unclean. And they didn't even want to associate with them. But after Saul has an encounter with Jesus, gets filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the people he, did not, he, he used to not like, now he likes. The people he used to run away from, he runs towards. The people he used to hate, now he's ministering to because the Holy Spirit will cause you to engage with people who are different than you. Three takeaways today. Three takeaways. The first takeaway is this. Would you begin to celebrate diversity in our worship services? Not tolerate it. Celebrate it. Still today, the most segregated time in America is Sunday morning during church service. Still today. And all I'm saying is people's church... Let's work at being a part of the solution. Let's embrace it. Let's embrace celebrating diversity, not tolerate it. I realize for some of you across all locations, Indiana, I'm the first black senior pastor you've ever had. I realize that. I realize for some of you, you've first time in your life you worship next to a black person or a brown person. I realize for some of you, it's the first time that you worship next to a white person or a yellow person or a tan person or a pink person. The first time you've ever. I realize some of you, when you came to People's Church the first time that you started worshiping the music that was different than what you naturally prefer and how you grew up. You're like, hmm, that's worship. Hmm, that's different. Hmm, I don't know if I like it. Hmm. And here's what I'm saying. You see, the, the propensity, the lean, the, the natural tendency of the human race is, to, is for homogenous relationships. 
That's just to hang out with people we like and who look like us, who talk like us, who listen to what we listen to. That, that's the natural. And I'm saying, listen, let's celebrate diversity. And many of you have made that decision, and I'm so proud of you. Let's be a part of the solution. A, a, a second, a second takeaway is this. Build relationships with people who are different than you. Build relationships with people who are different than you. Let's don't just worship together at our locations. Let's build relationships with people. You see, most people, as I said, want to build relationships in homogenous relationships, in homogenous circles with people who are just like them, who look like them, who act like them, who talk like them. But when you get filled with the Holy Spirit like Saul, you start saying, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. I'm going to go hang out with some people that are different than me. I'm willing to engage other cultures. I'm willing to learn and grow. I'm willing to minister to you. I know we're different. I know, I know we grew up different, but I'm willing. The Holy Ghost compels me. be a part of the solution not the problem I realize some of you you've never been to a black person house house in Eaton some of you've never been to a white person's house in Eaton some of you've never been to a brown person or a tan person or a purple person or a pink person you've never been to somebody else's house their territory their their their, their area of influence and hung out and fellowshiped pastor that'll make me uncomfortable I know it will and Saul went to the Gentiles I'm saying let's don't talk about the problem has to be a part of the solution. Race together. Would you get this curriculum? Would you gather with some people that are different than you? Let's be a part of the solution. And fellowship. Break down walls. Have honest conversations. Be honest. Part of my journey is my dad's 76. If you were to talk to me and, and the things that he experienced, and he grew up in segregated schools. He talks to me about it. He grew up in some of the horrible experiences. He grew up not able to drink out of certain water fountains, and we talk about it. I'm saying just... And love. Have honest conversations. Honest conversations with people who are different than you. Learn, grow. Here's, here's, here's the third takeaway. Don't make excuses. Make a difference. Don't make excuses. Make a difference. Here, here, here's what some of you are saying right now. Well, I'll tell you why this preacher up there talking. Oh, he's just so full of hope. and uh, He don't even know the real problem. I'll tell you what. Give me that microphone. I'll know what I say. <laughs> You're not a part of the solution. I'm saying you make a difference. You'll be a part of the solution. You, you begin to celebrate diversity. You begin to build relationship with people who are different than you. You begin to host a group and engage people who are different than you. You begin to celebrate it. You begin. Stop perpetuating hate. Come on, start pouring into the next generation saying, hey, 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 we're going to love everybody. Stop telling people, well, they're different. They look different. They talk different. So here's how we frame them up. Stop perpetuating hate and start investing love. You, one person can make a difference. One person, would you decide not to make excuses and decide right where you are that you're going to make a difference and help us race together?